Good morning and welcome back. Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. I'm your Monday host. I get to do the Monday gig. Welcome you to the Monday world. Hope that your weekend went well. Uh, I did a lot of, uh, work with my daughter this, uh, weekend on our sheep cutting hooves. For the first time, she, uh, was able, usually I, um, catch, uh, each sheep and, um, we turn them over onto their backs and I hold them tightly with my arms and she does the hoof trimming. And I, this weekend I said, you want to flip one? And she's 14 and she goes, okay. <laughs> and, uh, it was amazing. Uh, and it's, it's part of our blue moon farm. Uh, healthy activity. Uh, we do it together and, uh, we, we just love it. And, uh, we have fin sheep that are just, uh, great to be around. There's a real serenity about it. And, uh, they help, they help me ro- raise my daughter. My daughter helps raise me. And it's just this collective, uh, farm Vermont atmosphere that we all love. So I'm very excited about, um, my next guest. Uh, Willie Katz Burrell and Mary Streeter are from Sauna at Stowe, which is a, uh, individualized evidence-based treatment for substance use disorder in a comfortable and serene and private environment. Well, Stowe kind of says a lot, right? And so I want to welcome you both. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank yeah. You. Great having you here. Um, Willie, can we start with you and just, um, Talk a little bit about uh, sauna and sort of what was in your mind when you when you wanted to create sauna. Thank you, Brad. Good morning. Um, I've been uh, for four years in Vermont, but I have never turned a sheep. So <laughs> that, uh, next weekend I'm going to go visit you. Um, sauna was a, a, a is a, a project that was initiated as as a way to look at better outcomes in the treatment of substance use disorders. Um, just a very brief background on, on my professional uh, career. I'm, I'm a professor of business in uh, the Grossman School of Business here at UVM. And uh, since for 40 years, you know, I, I got to UVM in 1982, I've been uh, working on understanding better medical outcomes from the point of view of economics, health cost. And uh, I've, I've done this in, in various settings. Uh, the latest was around suicide and suicide prevention. And in studying suicide, uh, death by suicide in this country are reported to be around 45,000 a year, which is an awful number. Um, but in looking at um, the research around uh, death by suicide, I realize that uh, overdose deaths, which are 100,000 in this country and growing, that half of them, around 50,000, they're classified as accidental, as you know. Uh, interviewing survivors of overdose, half of them describe the episode as intentional. So if you take that number, potentially we have another 50,000, half of the 100,000 death by overdose to be death by suicide. 
And that to me was like, you know, not only unacceptable, it was horrifying. And I started a conversation around how can it be? How can we have such a epidemic of death around overdose? And in doing so, uh, with a colleague of mine, Dr. Sanchez Maruti, we, we started brainstorming ideas on, on what would it look like if we had no resource constraints, if there were no compromises made, what sort of clinical program we could put together to actually treat substance use disorders better. And Sana was born out of that conversation, understanding the need for a different model, a different model that included, and this is why I'm so excited to have Mary with us and, and Mary at Sana, is this notion of integrative, comprehensive approach to the treatment of substance use disorders. You know, SANA is based on a model. It's really three, three um, legs of the stool, a medical, a clinical, and a wellness programs. And all three built on each other. And, and, and that integrative model is uh, the core of the vision that we had for SANA. Right. The idea was, how can we build an environment where the patient is seen, where the patient is met, where he or she is? Uh, how can we understand the drivers of addiction in that individual, typically trauma-based? How can we treat it holistically? I think this is the key. At the same time, we wanted to make sure that we had a program in place in an environment, Rad, that was screaming to the patient, we know how hard your journey is. We want you to understand that we respect that uh, the courage that you have in coming here. You know, the, the, um, the byline for SANA, you may have seen it, it's strength to heal. You have that strength in you. We believe that everybody had that strength in them. But we needed to build an environment that actually said it. You know, a lot of treatment centers around the country, uh, I'm sorry to say it, but, but, but feel a little bit like prisons. And we did not want to build in any way, shape or form, an environment that was punitive or felt punitive or shameful in any way. We built from scratch an environment that respected the dignity of the patient, that surrounded the patient with comfort, with beauty, uh, with a sense of well-being. The journey is so difficult. You know, the treatment is, is, is really so difficult. And Mary will speak to some of that, that we wanted to make sure that everything around the treatment was a message to the patient that we care about his and her well-being. That was the vision of Senna. You know, there's 15,000 or so treatment centers in this country, unbelievably. Um, we didn't want to just have one more like every other. We really wanted to make a different treatment center and, and based on those principles on principles of dignity on principles of beauty on principles of uh, respect for the patient and recognition that a lot of the drivers of addiction really come from trauma.
and build a program around that. Yeah. So you're very, um, you consider yourself avant-garde in, in treatment, uh, Again, I let Mary speak to, to her. You know, Mary is one of our star, um, clinicians there. Uh, let me just say that the, the philosophically, uh, we wanted to build a prototype. Uh, avant-garde maybe is a little bit too avant-garde. You know, we wanted to build a prototype on, on known best practices. Okay. So what we were doing is really not developing best practice at the beginning. I, I do think that over time, Sana will prove a model that hopefully can be copied across the country. But we build it on best practices, on the best knowledge, evidence-based knowledge, um, in, in 2021 when we build it. Mm-hmm. We're talking with uh, Willie Katzborell, who is the founder, co-founder of Sauna and Stowe at Stowe, and uh, Mary Streeter, director of wellness, coming with a lot of accolades from Willie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so kind. I love Mary. Yeah. So um, tell us more Patients about... Patients love Mary, which is even more important. Of right. course. Uh, more about your involvement. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, uh, well, I come in with, uh, I've worked in academic medicine for about 35 years before coming to, to sauna, um, in radiology, um, but did a lot of work around, um, managing burnout and really curious around resiliency and stress management. And I myself have a daughter that struggles with substance use disorder, which really brought my interest into, <laughs> as I you know, got to learn the um, extent of this struggle. And uh, when it came deeply into our life about 10 years ago and I saw the prevalence, I too was like, why aren't we talking about this, right? And of course, there's so much shame and, and stigma around it and had the experience of taking my daughter to recovery centers that she didn't feel held or worthy of that journey, right? Um, so when I came and was invited to visit uh, sauna early on, um, I was just taken by what the container that Willie had built there, um, that was just stepping into an experience that made you show up and say, Oh, I too am worthy of the journey. Right. And then I just saw the potential for this integrative health model, which having worked in medicine for years, you know, there's a lot of room for growth there, let's just say, and had studied integrative health and was really curious of like the potential at sauna put to put all these um, modalities of the medical stabilization and withdrawal to the clinical therapeutic lens and then adding wellness, which is, uh, I can talk uh, in more detail how that sort of wraps around and supports and accelerates the healing journey. Um, and so I came to sauna early on uh, and be- and was given the privilege of being able to help build that and bring wellness in in a in a broad spectrum to build a curriculum to help um, people heal or find their strength to heal. I'm talking this morning with uh, Willie Katzborell. He's uh, co-founder of Sonnet Stowe and Mary Streeter, director of wellness. Uh, Mary, I want to cue off something that Willie said just really about the compassion for the person in addiction. And sometimes my, our good friends at Jenna's Promise talk about separating the addiction from the person and honoring the person. Can yeah. You- 
Yeah, I think um, it's such an important part of the journey. Um, people are so so deep in their struggle, right, to even get to the door, um, to give themselves permission to heal. And once they've gone through those those tender first stages of, of detox, they're left with the real and rawness of, of the shame and the guilt that many of them are feeling. And so part of it is that community that you bring together, that peer sort of finally arriving with another group of people that you realize um, you're not the only one that feels broken, right? Or um, realize that, you know, you can just maybe lay some pieces down Um and just, I think, getting bathed once again with really good food and a really nice bed and beautiful art, right? And and then to have um, the clinical staff there to begin to address what's underlying the substance use, because it's never the substance use, right? The substance use is, is covering something. And I think when people can just be held and, and given permission to... Uh, it's like through the lens of wellness, we invite people to elicit the relaxation response, right? To feel in their bodies if they loosen their grip, if they soften their body and, and soften their minds a little bit um, to access like this inner knowing, this this wiseness that they have had all along that's just been layered up with uh, being human, right? And, and also just validating it's hard to be human and that we're all in struggle to some degree. And I think part of um, that that coming to that place of compassion, it's that it's compassion for what it's like to be human. And it's a it's a place where people can be honest about that struggle and we can validate it. I, I've studied a lot of stress management and resiliency training. And part of it is just acknowledging the, the modern situation we're in and how it gets us um, away from ourselves. Like I, I, I think they're journeying home. And that's what we allow that journey home to get through all those layers of emotions that have in stories that have prevented them from remembering that inner light that they have, that 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 uh, that love that they carry around with them. And and through, again, this integrative health model, they get they get the opportunity to have practices like acupuncture and massage as part of and yoga and breath work and mindfulness, along with DBT and CBT, all those things. And it's just like unlayering, <laughs> unlayering all that we, we uh, carry around through our experiences. And we all have many and many shared ones. And I think that's part of it. We come together in a nice space to be able to say, it's really hard. And I've done some really hard things and I want to heal and I want more, you know, whether they, most people come voluntarily. Some people get a little nudge from their families, but I don't think most people walk in thinking they can really do it. And I think, um, after that first week, they begin to see the light of possibility. Yeah, let's follow up on that, Willie. The some call it a moment of clarity, but how do you how do you see people finally getting to that point? What are some of the, what's the impetus? Uh, you know, the impetus is the person. Um, there's such ambivalence. Walking through that door requires tremendous amount of courage. You know, leaving what you know, the habits that you know the habits that have kept you to a certain extent alive, maybe not with a life that you really love, but at least functioning at some point and realizing that that is not working anymore. And, and, you know, we have, you've been to Sena yourself, brother, to visit. There's a door, there's a bridge, you know, our entrance to Sena 
symbolizes this bridge that actually takes you from the world that you know today and that clearly in some way is not working for you. You know, there has to be a dissatisfaction with your present life. And it is that dissatisfaction that will drive that courage to walk through that entrance, through that bridge. But it's very important and, 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 and Mary has a, a program that, that makes this really clear. Sana is 28 days in your life. It's a chronic condition. I think it's very important that we understand that uh, those individuals that are suffering from substance use disorders need to work on that condition lifelong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, w- we are in a relay event. Sana is one relay. You know, we're passing that baton to someone else. I mean, this process is lifelong. And, and Mary, every single one of our clinicians understands that the 28 days is a moment of awakening a moment, an opportunity to learn new tools, to um, rethink uh, the drivers of your addiction. But 28 days is not going to, quote unquote, cure you. And I think that realization is key, right? What Sana does, Brad, is, we hope, it changes the trajectory of addiction for an individual. It gives the tools to understand mm-hmm. how to change behaviors. But we need to be very realistic that the patient that we actually are treating has a family, has children, has spouses, a job, and that those are not changing all that much during those 28 days. So we have started this program that Mary is now managing with one of our uh, psychologists where we educate the family in parallel so that they understand what those 28 days at SANA are doing, the journey that the patient is actually on and how they can be supportive. You know, having a spouse for 28 days away when you share childcare is difficult. But how to be patient, how to allow for the journey to complete without extra pressures, for example, from a spouse, from children is really a key, right? To bring closure. So the, the, this idea of treatment in this country as a cure, I think is misplaced, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, AA has always understood that this is a daily, you know, we, we are a best, we are, uh, best practices based. You know, we, we actually host AA sessions at SANA. Um, but we don't have an AA model in place, but I recognize the tremendous contribution that AA has done to keep individuals in recovery. Mm-hmm. That daily reminder. I think is absolutely key in the ultimate recovery of a patient. And so we are extremely humble, Brad, 
in the way that we actually look at what we do. You know, we see it with humility. We have the privilege of working with someone that is suffering, that the suffering was so intense to your question that there was no other option than to leave their families and loved ones for an extended period of time to be treated and make sure that giving that they gave us that privilege, giving the opportunity that we have to work with them to make sure that they have a new base from which to start healing. Willie, I want to go back to you a little bit with, um, you know, the, the notion of trauma and then, um, getting into addiction, sort of treating your own trauma as sort of a street way of saying it, uh, with, with drugs or alcohol. Um, what, what's up with the world? You know, we, we seem so many people who are affected by trauma. Is that just, is normal life filled with trauma? How do, how do, how do we put our arms around this? Do you mind if I turn the answer to Mary? Not at all. <laughs> Let the clinician speak. Um, yeah, trauma, I think we've just held it for a while in a, in a container that was, um, you know, reserved for people that had really horrific things happening to them, you know, assault or, or different sort of things in that way. Um, but really trauma can come in many forms and we're, we're learning that trauma can happen even in utero, right? If your mother's going through something, it can impact somebody even at that level or even as a young child. And so part of it is like the thing that happened, right? And then it's the stories we attach to that and how it's relevant to our experience. And so what we've learned is that often we go through life, uh, we're humans raising other humans, uh, doing the best we can, but we're imperfect. And so, um, and we pass forward generations and ways of being that as we grow and evolve, we learn are not really appropriate or, or, or right um, on the human psyche and soul. And so if we can just excuse that for half a minute and just address how it's affected us, then, then it gives us the potential to move through it. And so just, just being able to accept that we have things to heal from, um, opens up the lens to actually feel it and heal it, I say. But instead what happens is that life gets hard and things don't feel good. And maybe we're in a male body that's been conditioned to say you, you need to stay up on that white horse and you can't really cry or feel that thing or express that thing. So it's easier to numb it, right? It's easier to numb the things or I don't have time to actually deal with this. I have three kids. I work full time. You know, I'm, I've got this thing coming up in my heart around this grief that I've been carrying around or sadness, but, um, but uh, a good mother doesn't and a good uh, daughter doesn't, right? Do this or that. I just, I endure. And so a lot of that turns into numbing. And so trauma can be big things that need to be numbed. They also can be little things. And also, as I said, it's like sort of the story that we tell around that. So it's so prevalent um, and drives so much of our substance use disorder. I mean, and addictions of other kinds, scrolling, shopping, gambling, all the things, right? Yeah. And, and you're meeting people where they're at, right? hundred percent. Yeah. You'd have to meet everyone where they're at. They have to meet themselves where they're at. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's first that self declaration that got to make a change, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just think just, um, I don't know. It's the shame that comes with thinking that 
it was something you did, right? Instead of just being able to allow yourself to to um, know that this thing occurred, right? Let's talk more about the family. There, there is the addicted person, but it, it's much more global than that, right? Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, I'll just say when uh, my daughter started, uh, or when I became aware of her struggle, um, you know, there's just this like idea. I'll go back to thinking a good mother doesn't raise a daughter that becomes a heroin addict, right? So there's that whole impact uh, that you have on yourself around what's happened. And it's also this going into rescue, thinking that you can love your loved one into wellness, right? Into recovery. Um, and as we journey on, we realize we don't actually have that much control, right? We have a certain amount of control over what we do, the choices we make, but we really can't, um, we really can't um, get anyone else to the finish line. And so I think just understanding how it impacts a family, it changes the fabric of a family when someone struggles, right? Because it becomes, it, t- it takes so much energy um, to try to sort of understand what's happening. And as you know, there's a whole um, arena of things that come with someone that's struggling around untruthfulness, right? And that, that bond of, um, of, of love that feels a little bit broken. Um, and so this is where people get really caught up. But anyway, even when someone goes in and, and seeks uh, recovery or treatment, I think we often sit outside of it, like with catchers, uh, catchers mitts on waiting to catch them when they come out and not really knowing. And that's what I hear from families a lot. What do I do when they come home? How can I be helpful? And we think it's from like, you know, inquiring or asking about, oh, are you doing those things you said you were going to do? Or, oh, my gosh, it looks like you haven't been, um, you know going to your meetings when really, you know, we have this book we recommend called, um, uh, addiction. Oh, that's escaping me right now. I'll come back. We'll get it. We'll get it. Inoculation. No, addiction inoculation is a great book. If you're raising children of someone that's, uh, had substance use disorder. Um, Anyway, it's all based, it'll come to me, Um, but it's based in kindness. It's based in the fact that understanding, uh, also understanding how dopamine works, I think is also a really good thing for people to do if they want to understand the struggle of why people can't just get it right, why their loved one can't just stop. Understanding the physiological components to it, along with like the trauma and the emotional healing that has to happen. Our bodies are used to this dopamine hit that's, you know, maybe like, uh, let's say it's a five if you have a cup of coffee, right? But it's... You know, 10,000 if you do some heroin, Mm. right? And so once your body wants that kind of dopamine hit, it's hard to be satisfied with something else. And once you have that and you slide back from it, it's that sliding back that people just can't endure the pain of. And so it's reconditioning, it's repatterning, not only from the emotional things that we were talking about earlier, but also this pattern of behavior here physiologically, which happens with pain also. And so... Anyway, understanding that um, the person you love is is working, they've maybe come to sauna and have a strong foundation to build from. Uh, but as Willie said, that's not, you know, you're not done, right? We have, they have a um, continued care plan. And so just encouraging them really when things are going well, that I noticed that that's going really well for you or, you know, you got back in your job and it looks like that's happening. Well, anything you can see that's positive is really what people need not to be calling them out on stuff. And I, I have been reactive in my journey in the beginning because of fear, you know, like I'm afraid she's slipping. I'm afraid she's not doing the things like 
Maybe she's not, but I have really no control over that, right? And so understanding that and also understanding, and a lot of moms come to me and they're like, I'm concerned about my child or my husband. And my first question to anyone is, are you taking care of yourself? Really? Because that's, that's first and foremost for us and for them. I teach the foundations of health. We just go back to like, I call it reset. How's your rest? Are you moving your body exercise, right? How are you managing your stress? Are you eating well? Right. And are you taking care of yourself? Are you setting boundaries? Right. Are you standing in discomfort and knowing it's okay if you're not abandoning your moral base? Right. It's, it's all these like very basic pillars of life. And same with anyone walking beside, I would encourage you take care of yourself. And when you do that, then you'll have the space to see clearly what's happening and know where you can actually lovingly be present and where you need to love from a distance. We're talking with uh, Willie Katzperell, who's co-founder of Sonnet Stowe and Mary Streeter, um, about it. Um, they provide an individualized evidence-based treatment for substance use disorders in a comfortable and serene and, and private environment. When somebody walks through the door, Willie, at, at Sauna, what, you know, there's fear in the unknown. What, what's sort of the, the beginning for them so th- in the journey? You know, uh, we have extremely talented staff. I mean, their uh, experience, their credentials, impeccable. Uh, I would say we have uh, the best, if not certainly one of the best teams, not only in, in, in Vermont, but uh, nationally speaking. But, you know, one thing that Everybody has one characteristics that every single one of the staff that we hire has is compassion, is empathy. And when the patient actually walks through that door, we understand, as we spoke a second ago, the courage, the difficulty of that crossing of that bridge of that door. And so they are immediately welcome with open arms, with open heart. I mean, we want the patient to know that we appreciate the difficulty of the journey and that we're there for them every single moment. So as soon as they come in, you know, they have to go through a a medical exam. I mean, it's not exactly the warmest of uh, welcomes, you know, when you actually have to actually be assessed medically. But it is actually enveloped in, in a sense of, um, I care about you. You know, Sana, Brad, with my co-founder, with, with Dr. Sanchin Maruti, was a place that we said where we would send someone that we love hmm. and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. You know, when the door closes, as you know, so very often our, uh, Patients are escorted by family members, by spouses, by their children. And how do we send a message to that family that they have actually done something that they will have no regrets, that they don't feel guilty about, that they feel good? I mean, a lot of... The families actually joke that they would like to come and spend some time at Santa because of the experience reported by the patients. You know, every single one of our staff uh, not only are professionally uh, impeccably trained, 
but we hire them on their ability to communicate well, to be empathetic, and, and to understand where the patients are. It certainly was a great environment when I visited. Um, I can't say enough good about it. We're, we're talking with uh, Willie Katzborell and uh, Mary Streeter from Sauna at Stowe. They're building, um, working on a um, proven methodology, but also your explorers. You're looking for better. You are on a quest is what I'm hearing. Medical, clinical, wellness. Uh, yes. w- where, where, what's the, the high goals right now, uh, as you, you've been in business for a bit and. Yeah, you know, we've been in business for two years, right? We have actually had the privilege of treating uh, more than 250 Vermonters over those two years. Um, and we are, as you say, uh, trying to understand what works to help individuals stay in recovery successfully in the long term. Um, you would think with so many Americans that are suffering from substance use disorders, so many people around the world suffering from substance use disorders, that the knowledge base on what works would be much deeper and richer than it is. We actually don't know. And this is part of why under Mary, uh, Mary's um, leadership, we have so many modalities of treatment at SANA because we don't know what touches you. Is it art? Is it writing? Is it music? Is it movement? You know, what actually makes click and allows you to rethink how you want to live your life? We don't know. Uh, my background, as I mentioned in the early uh, minutes of your program, it's in, in, in medical outcomes. What works? Can we correlate long-term successful recovery with specific interventions? What are those interventions? We know, for example, that our patients rank, you know, we've been for two years in business, so we actually have patients that have been in recovery for up to two years successfully. And they report nonviolent communication, for example, as being extremely helpful in restructuring the way they speak about themselves, about their condition, and about others. They speak of meditation as a very important part of their daily routine that have helped them center their lives. We don't, you know, we have a small sample size. We have treated 250 Vermonters, but, you know, is that enough of a sample to understand what actually works? We're hoping to be still here five years from now. And at that point, when we have thousands of Patients that have gone through our treatment program and, and hopefully are still in, in very, um, in, in, in recovery will understand, will be able to correlate Brad back to what were the specific treatments that help you most. We're doing it at three months, 
uh, follow up at three months, at six months, at 12 months, and then yearly after that to understand precisely what works. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we understand that the treatment of substance use disorders is very expensive. So allocating dollars in an intelligent way, in, in, in a way that is maximizing the effectiveness of the intervention is what we're after. Um, putting resource to it does seem to be a key. We talked earlier about the Medicaid reimbursement being very low. I've been trying to push a tri-state model and, and bring the resource up. So it's from top to bottom. It doesn't matter what facility. You just, you really, we need to up the game to save money, I guess. Maybe we can get UVM to do an economic study for us that would uh, prove this out and we can Put a big binder on the table or something. I don't know. You know, uh, you know it very well. It, it's a, a matter of changing the perspective. Is treatment an investment or an expense? And if you see the treatment of substance use disorders as a social expense, you will try to minimize it. If you understand that this is an investment in productivity, in keeping families together, in keeping children in school performing well, if you understand the impact that you have on helping an individual reach successful recovery and maintain it, the implication economically and socially is huge. And we would then, I believe, spend much more money in supporting places like SANA, that are providing a, what I think is a fantastic opportunity to get better. Uh, if you don't mind, I would like to uh, address a, a general misunderstanding possibly around Sana. We are not self-pay. We actually take commercial insurance. Okay. And yep. we're in network with Blue Cross and Blue Shield and with Optum. I think it's important for everybody to know that the model that we are developing at SANA, though it is a very expensive model to organize and deliver, is being offered to a wide, wide spectrum of uh, individuals from a social demographic point of view. Yeah, and I would like to echo, you You mentioned 200 Vermonters, and, and it, it probably was a little bit brave to start this um, business in Vermont. Uh, we have about two minutes, but to start it, but it, you remind me of the field of dreams, build it and they will come and out of the cornfields and <laughs> into sauna <laughs> in beautiful Stowe. And, um, on your website, uh, if you go to sauna at Stowe, you find their website. There's great accolades about the service from people who have been provided with, uh, with service and, this is this is not just sort of like a you know a, a pastime. This is life and death, and and you're saving lives. You're helping find people's souls, and uh, you're doing it in a way that's going to grow and and get better and better and better. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, I let Mary speak to that. You know, my responsibility or or my credit. Brad stops at having built the place, <laughs> but they're the walls, yeah. right? People that make those walls come alive uh, are clinicians like Mary and our staff, right? And it is life and death. And, the inter- and we, we understand the responsibility and the privilege that we have 
in uh, treating our patients. Yes. Mary, maybe I should, you should have the last word. But, well, I just want to say that I think it's the mind, body, and spirit. I think wraparound in in a clinical medical wellness approach that, you know, it's that whole, that's that holistic healing that needs to begin uh, to build a foundation for healing. I think that's the secret sauce of sauna. Well, thank you both, uh, Willie Katzburell and Mary Streeter. Uh, check them out at sauna at their website. If you know somebody who needs help, Here's a good solution. Uh, we'll be back next week on Monday. This is Brad Furland, Vermont Viewpoint. Thanks for listening. We can't do it without you.